God's so good, isn't he? He's blessing us. He's blessing our families. You saw some children by way of natural birth, biological uh, family members, and then you saw some adoptive family members in uh, those pictures, and we celebrate all those families. You also saw eight out of nine were female. There's only one boy dedicated yesterday. I don't know what's going on, but uh, a lot more babies to come around here in the coming months. Try to tip that scale back, maybe. I don't know. Um, Hey, I'm so excited for what God's going to do among us this morning. I need to preach and get out of the way because there's a lot of people that are going to testify and announce to the body of Christ that they have been made new, that God has begun something new in them. My uh, father baptized me, and I'm so thankful that he's in the room this morning. I still have the picture of, uh, of him baptizing me in our brown and orange sanctuary with a big kind of picture of the uh, fruit of the Spirit on the wall behind, and I'm thankful for that memory. Um, and I'm so thankful for what the Lord's going to do this morning. I believe there are some people that are getting baptized today that don't know they're getting baptized yet. And um, I want to talk to you just for a few minutes this morning uh, about a man named Cain. A man named Cain. You probably are more familiar with him alongside his brother, Cain and Cain and Abel. You got the right one. Cain was the first human born naturally. Can you imagine that? The first baby that was ever on the planet. The first baby crying, the first baby filling whatever his diaper was back then. The first one. He, uh, I, I imagine certainly this was a shocking experience for Adam and Eve. Eve had never seen the fifth grade birth video that they show. Uh, in fact, when the Lord announced to her that she would have pain because of the curse of sin, wherever there's sin, it brings pain. The Lord announced to her that she would have pain in childbirth. I think that was a new concept to her. Child what? What birth? Um... She was just told she would have pain in it. This, uh, you know, this Cain and Abel situation was very unique. Adam was the first man, but these two, these were the first boys. They were the first bros on the planet Earth, the original brotherhood. Cain was a farmer, and his brother Abel was a shepherd. And from the first bros, we get the first organized worship event. The first moment where people are bringing something planned to give to God, to honor him and glorify him. We get the first worship service from the first brotherhood. This is like the first brotherhood night. And um, and, and you know what? There's nothing like worshiping with the boys. There's nothing like it. Nothing like worshiping. It's, it's, you know, you get going and you're having a good prayer session. Uh, You get in with the brotherhood and just... Sparks start to fly. Iron is sharpening iron. All of a sudden, you're being encouraged, and then you're being corrected, and then you're being trained and challenged by somebody. There is a, a lot that happens when the brotherhood gets together. They're, they're challenging each other to be more bold and be more generous and, and be more holy, and you're getting close In the presence of God, there's an intimacy that happens when the brothers worship together. And and maybe you've been there before and you've been to one of our brotherhood events and and maybe the tears even start flowing and you got that, I love you, man. Oh, I love you, man. And you're just, that's not the case in this situation. In this first organized worship event, uh, how it reads 
is that in the course of time, Cain brings God some of his fruit and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. And if you didn't catch that, Cain brings God an offering, Abel brings God the offering. Cain, he gave God some, but Abel gave God the first and the best. And God saw their hearts and he saw something in Cain's heart that reflected in his offering. He saw something wrong in it. And the, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 15 that the Lord detests the sacrifices that are born in wickedness. The sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the uprights. And so he sees their hearts and, and he, what he, the words are in scripture is he says to Cain that he has not done well. He has not done well, but he could do well. He didn't say, oh, Cain, you never do well, you can't do well. He said, you haven't done well, but you can do well, Cain. And he challenged him to guard his heart. He says, hey, my boy, sin is crouching at the door of your heart. It's getting ready to take you down. You need to overcome it, Cain. It's uh, for those, those that are like-hearted with me that love Calvin and Hobbes comics. It's like when Calvin's coming home from school and the tiger is ready to pounce, to burst the door open and knock his lunchbox and shoes off, hugging him to death because he's missed him all day while he's at school. He says, that tiger is ready to pounce on you and you need to guard your heart to overcome the sin that's knocking at your door. Well, Cain does not. And out of this situation, he becomes jealous, bitter, and spiteful. And in that, he attacks Abel and he kills him. So instead of Cain being remembered as the first birth, that's not typically how we remember him. Instead of us remembering uh, Cain as the first child and the first baby, he's notoriously remembered for the first human death. And then he hides his sin from God, just like his dad did, just like his mom did. And humanity was three for three on sin hiders. I want to pick it up there, and this is what happens in Genesis chapter 4, 12 through 16. The Lord has called Cain out in his sin, and he has pronounced the consequences of Cain's sin. This is what it says. Cain, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Whoever finds me will surely kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You know, these are original people, are spiritual prototypes for us. They're the first archetype, the first example for what we will see in our hearts for the rest of human history. Uh, what we see is a precedence being set, a spiritual pattern that continues in us today. If you can find it in your soul, you can probably read about it in the book of Genesis with the original people. This situation is the first account of human anger, comparison, jealousy and bitterness, the first account of violence. Cain brings the original toxic masculinity. We see it in Cain. And Cain's situation is universally relatable. I'm not saying that you've all been in, in 
battles with your brothers or your sisters. Um, I'm not saying that we're all farmers. I, um, I'm not pretending to be a farmer today. You probably don't have any crops yourself, but, um, and I don't count going to the pumpkin patch once a year to take some photos as being a farmer. That doesn't qualify. But Cain's situation is universally relatable. We've all done the Cain. We've done the unrighteous thing before a righteous God. You have done rebellious, sinful, disobedient violations to the character and nature of God, marred the image of God in you. You've done heinous and vile things out of your own selfish desires that have consequences. And so have I. Where our lives become an unacceptable offering unto God. Where wickedness comes into our heart and this this principle that is present in the text has been reproduced and echoes in each of us today. And, And what echoes so loudly in this passage are the words that God uses to describe Cain's state. He says your sin has made you two things. Your sin has made you a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. I want to talk to you about those two words for a moment. The the original text here that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew uh, speaks to us in uh, in this way. The word for fugitive is nuah, and it means quivering or trembling, afraid and insecure. Insecure. The NIV translates this word, your sin has made you restless. And this speaks to us today because what he's saying is, Cain, your sin has now put you in a position where you're living in a way that you know you're not enough. You know you've fallen short. You're walking around restlessly, trembling, feeling insecure. Who I am on my own when I stand before a righteous God as an unrighteous person is deeply aware, deeply aware of my inadequacies, my flaws, deeply, deeply aware. Now, keep in mind, Cain couldn't suppress this understanding of his violation of the righteousness of God. He couldn't go hide himself in culture. What culture? There's not many people on the earth at this point. He couldn't hide from the truth of God in in culture. He couldn't hide from the truth of God in the comfortable lies that people could put around him. And so he says later in this passage, he says, my avane is more than I can bear. In, In the Hebrew, that just means my guilt or my punishment. God, I cannot stand to walk in this unrighteousness. It's more than I can handle. My soul can't take it. We're gonna get to that in a moment. So first God says, your sins made you a fugitive, Cain. You're on the run. You're full of shame, deeply aware that you've fallen short. And secondly, your sin has made you wa-nod. It's that word earlier that we read when Cain went east of Eden to the wilderness, to the land of nod. Well, the the word is the same here, the root. It's wa-nod, and it means wandering, disturbed, or agitated. All of a sudden, not only Cain knows he's guilty and has a restless soul, but now he has an unsettled soul knowing he is not home. He is spiritually homeless. 
He is deeply aware that the shelter that he was made for, the presence of Almighty God, to be with him and to be in, in uh, fellowship with him forever has been broken and violated. And so now these two emotional states have crippled his soul. He's living as a fugitive and he's living wandering a spiritual wilderness. You know, each distraction and deception of the enemy is aimed to suppress that restless insecurity and homeless discomfort in your soul. The enemy just wants to suppress that. Your soul's aware of it. You're convicted. The Holy Spirit has, has revealed to you uh, uh, your incompleteness and dissatisfaction in your sin, and the enemy wants to suppress that truth with everything he's got your soul's great need that you can still hear if you still yourself and listen to the Holy Spirit. You may be here today with resistance or indifference in your heart. Someone invited you to come today. Maybe you know someone that was being baptized today and you've come and your soul is suppressing these two deep violations of your heart that you're walking with, that fugitive state, that homeless wandering state of your soul. Whether you're in the room, if you're online today, and you've come with that resistance or indifference, you may think you're too good for grace, that you don't need to be made new. Sure, you go through some rough spots. Sure, you've had a midlife crisis, but you just need to tweak some things. You just need some new resolutions. You just need some changes. Maybe push a toxic person out of your life. Maybe hit the gym a little more. There's things you can do. There's self-help books that line the shelves. There's things, and that's all you really need. That's a lie. That will not solve the wandering spiritual homelessness of your soul, and that will not solve the fugitive guilt that wrecks each and every, once, every one of our consciences. And all I have to ask you today is if you've found anything that actually satisfies your restlessness. Not for a week, not a, a, a short-term, mild obsession or passion that you get into, not a new hobby. If you found something that deeply and truly satisfies your soul that you'll never thirst again, have you found anything to forgive the guilt that clings to you? Not only does sin's wandering vagabond ring like a bell in our souls today, but Cain's response rings in our soul. My guilt, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Jesus is crying out through time and space, speaking to Cain. In that moment when Cain cries out and says, my guilt is too much for me, Jesus is crying out from the cross saying, I know. I know. He's crying out. He's saying, Father, forgive her. Father, forgive him. This is, uh, we see it after Adam and Eve have sinned, that God promises that Eve, from the descendants of Eve, will come a son who will crush the head of the serpent. It's the proto, right? The prototype of the gospel. The proto-euangelion, the first moment we hear about God's plan of redemption for humanity. And this is the second one. This is the second one where Cain says, this is too much for me. I'm living under perpetual punishment. I have a death sentence over my soul. It's too much. And God says, not so. Not so. 
and he places a mark on Cain, and, and I want you to catch this here. I want someone in the, the place today that's walking under that fugitive, wandering sentence to understand what God does. He places a mark on Cain. And that, yes, that mark is a sign of what Cain has done. That mark is a sign of his violation of God's righteousness, that he has killed his brother. Yes, it is a sign of death. Abel's blood testified from the ground to God of what Cain had done. That mark is a mark of death, but not only is that mark a mark of death, it becomes a mark of redemptive, compassionate mercy of God to preserve Cain's life for the rest of his life. The mark of death is also a mark of life. Church, do you know what is a sign of death that is also a sign of life today? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. The place where Christ died that became your birthplace. The marks that Jesus took on his back and in his wrists and in his ankles and on his brow have become your birthmark. Mm. Cain was marked with that life-preserving mark of God that no one would ever put him to death. God's got that mark for you today. That mark of Cain, it's the cross. It's the sign of death that becomes the sign of life, the instrument of Christ's murder that becomes our anointing, that becomes our birthmark, our miracle life that rings out in us. Punishment turned into perpetual grace. The cross is a birthmark for you, and that place of Christ's death has become the place for each of us to experience eternal life. And this This is not the result of a midlife crisis, church. You might know somebody, and they're the reason you came here today, and you've seen something different in them, and you've seen them be transformed, and you've seen them make some changes, and maybe you thought it was a midlife crisis, but I'm here to tell you it's the result of a no-life crisis. When you understand, I'm dead in my sins. I've been marked. My soul has been marked as a wanderer. My soul has been marked as a fugitive. And you come into this place I want you to understand you have to admit that you cannot save yourself or give yourself life. The Bible says, and Jesus is explaining, this made new life, this born again spiritual miracle life to Nicodemus. And he says, Nicodemus, you have to understand that this conception does not come from man. In John 1, he says, it's not from the will of the father or the ability of the mother. This is only a birth that can happen in the spiritual, by the Holy Spirit. And so your friend that was made new, it wasn't a midlife crisis. It was a no-life crisis. It wasn't some tweak or change or reform they did in their own power. It was the Holy Spirit of God that birthed them into eternal life that'll never stop. Mm. Mm. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it better than any of us ever could. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not in this church or that church, not in a new habit, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, They are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Mm. The goal of renewal is reunion. Cain separated, wandering, marked for the wilderness, a vagabond, homeless, spiritually homeless spirit inside of him. He didn't just want to be made new. He wanted to be reunited 
with the presence of God, the fellowship of the spirit that he was created for. And it says it at the end of the book, church. Jesus says, behold, I am making everything new. He says a new heavens and a new earth has been established and they are coming to you. And in Revelation 21, three, he says, I I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is where that fugitive, vagabond, wandering pronouncement meets its restoration, meets its reversal through the cross of Christ in our faith for all time. The cross It's not just the place where Jesus was marked. It's the place where we are marked. He is the only one in heaven that'll have scars. He'll say, hey, look at my hands. Hey, look at my feet. In Jesus's eternal body, we will see the marks of our redemption. It will be made new. We will be perfected. Today, I want to challenge you, if you're in the room, to make a decision and not add Jesus into your life. That's not what salvation is. That's not how redemption works. But bring your entire life to the cross and lay it before Jesus. Admit you're a sinner. Place your faith in him. Really believe that he died sinless and rose again victorious. Really believe it. And then choose to commit your life, your future, your job, your plans, your career, your family, your situation. Commit it all to Jesus. I'm not asking you to get swept up in the moment here today or get swept. There, there is no bandwagon grace. There's only personal grace for you that comes straight from Jesus. You might say, well, my story's not that exciting. I didn't kill any of my siblings. Glory to God. But understand this, the violations of your sin are just as deep the violations of your sin, it, you, you became just as spiritually homeless. You became just as spiritually guilty. And when God comes to you, your redemption is no less celebrated. It's no less exciting. There are no what we call humdrum hallelujahs in the kingdom. Your testimony is just as beautiful because it was paid for with the beautiful, precious blood of Jesus Christ. If you're in the room today, if you're watching online, I wanna ask you to pray a prayer with me and to make a covenant decision with the Lord where you can only make it in trust and faith. You can only make it, it's not a contract, it's a covenant. We say, God, I surrender. I'm not in control anymore, God. I place you in control and you lay claim, not only to my sin that you're gonna redeem and wash away, but you lay claim to my obedience forever. I wanna pray that prayer and I wanna ask in this moment that everybody would stand to their feet. God, I thank you for this story from 6,000 years ago, God, that tells us about who we are right now. I thank you for what you did in Cain's life when you intervened and you said, not so Cain, you are, you are not uh, gonna waste away, you're not gonna be killed, there's not an, uh, an uninterruptible death sentence on you, but Cain, there's a life sentence for you. 
Jesus, I, I pray right now for every person in the room that is under the conviction of your Holy Spirit that knows you're talking to them, that knows that somehow, by your grace, they've ended up at the foot of the cross today. God, I pray that you would do something in them, Lord, that has nothing to do with a moment, that has nothing to do with uh, all the effects of the things of you, but is all about you. You've beckoned them here. You've called them because you want to redeem them for eternity. Jesus, I pray right now that you would receive from them all their repentance, God. You would receive from them, Lord, every confession, God, that they're a sinner and they've lived a life that's fallen short before you. And you would flood in, God, with miracle life. You would forgive them, raise them from that spiritual grave, and let them live a life in this life and in the next life that will never end, redeemed and restored to fellowship with you. I thank you, God, for being that renewing and reuniting God, restoring us to your presence. Lord, I thank you for everybody that's making that decision right now to commit to you. I pray that you would quickly root them in to your presence forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.